to Mr. Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me is... Hey, hey, hey Jody. Yeah. Jody, can we, um, can we try a version of that intro again? Uh, can we try to do that a little bit more monotonous? Are you kind of doing a lot of pitch things going on there today? Uh, do you think we can try that? Just one more just to humor me and try to keep it a little bit steadier and a little bit more pronounced. You mean Does that work for you? Well, you mentioned the word monotonous. Do you want me to be monotonous about it, or what? I mean, no, what are I just you going don't want you here? to be so. Um, ideally, I'd like to not hear all of those pitch rises and coming back. So keep it within like a little bit more of a range there, so you're not getting the really highs and the really lows. So we try to keep it a little bit steadier there in pitch. All right, let's. I'll Can we try that again? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fully right. down with that. Here we go. All right. Hello, and welcome to Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. Is that better? That's perfect. Awesome, Sweet. Jody. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> hey, so there we have it. We are getting into this episode, which comes to us via a question by one of our Italian listeners. And I, I'm hoping I'm going to say this name correctly. I know the first name is Fabio. At least I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, and the last name is, I want to say Zorzi. Does that seem like yeah. the pronoun- uh, correct pronunciation of an Fabio Italian last Sorsi. name? Yeah. Fabio Zorzi. Yeah. And if we're, if we're butchering If we're mangling that, your name. Sorry, Fabio. Yes. We're very sorry if we have yeah. mangled your name, but we appreciate the fact that you wrote to us and said, hey, could you please define the difference between a producer or the role of a producer and the role of a mixing engineer? And here we are. We've just entered the episode with an example of what a producer would do. Right. Yeah. It's a really good question, I think. And it's one of those, you and I have been... Uh, through some of the podcasts here, really sort of anal about old school definitions <laughs> of what, what things should be. I mean, when we talked about buses and oxes and, and things like that. So these days, it's certainly uh, some, well, there are certainly some blurred lines when it comes to these things. And people tend to use words for um, roles that may not be super applicable for the history of the, of the, the general term, right? So Exactly. So let's kick this off and start by asking, what is a producer? Okay. And let's start with the classical definition in terms of the music industry, which is kind of parallel a little bit to the movie industry, although the producer role in in the music industry is a little bit more than what the producer is in film. And and I would say that even in film, the, the term producer has gotten blurred as well. And there's a yeah. specific reason for that in film. I'm not so sure but, there's a specific reason for that in music. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let's not blur the lines even more and start right. adding more elements to the with that. So uh, do you want – what's your sort of definition of – of a producer in the musical the, sense. What, the what, definition what, what of a classic, you know, producer. definition of what a producer is. Uh, the classical definition that I would take away from what music was before it started having those blurred lines of what a producer actually does is they are the, the omnipotent presence, so to speak with the band mm-hmm. and 
other elements to the recording in that they start with the band, working with the band, figuring out the songs, hiring the various people that are needed in the recording process and taking them from the stage of them having their songs and bringing them all the way to final product. That to me is what a classical sense of a producer is. And the producer oversees the budget. They oversee hiring yeah. of the arranger, the recording engineer or engineers, the mixing engineer or engineers, the mastering engineer or engineers, uh, the PAs, the location of where things are going to be recorded. And to top it off, they sit in the studio with the band, helping them to make appropriate decisions about the arrangement. If they have hired an arranger or if the band doesn't need an arranger, they help with that concept by overseeing how everything is flowing piece by piece. That is the classic definition in my mind of what a producer actually does. They help that artist focus the vision for the music, hire all the people needed to make that happen and keep everything on track when things get lost from their original focus. Would that be a good yeah. definition right there? Did I state I think that, that well? Yeah, I, I, I would agree to all of that just about, right? I mm -hmm. think um, I like to look at it as just as you, you said there, it, the producer is generally the overseer of, of the project. Yes. They're the ones that are responsible for making sure that the album gets made within the certain amount of budget that they have. And then, as you mentioned, the overseer of, of arrangements and things like that, that can vary a little bit dependent on sort of like the personality of the, the producer. Because sure. there are certain people they have, you know, they have, okay, well, I have this creative vision for what we're gonna do with, it, with this product, uh, this band in this case. And a lot of times, like you said, that will be with a discussion with the bands, like, is this, what you conceive your music being. If those visions are, you know, not in unison, so to speak, <laughs> then it's probably not the right producer for, for the gig, right? Sure. But, but they're the ones that help there. And certain producers get involved with, with songwriting and structure and flow of the record, that kind of thing, and certain don't. Certain have certain producers have more of a hands-off kind of thing, and um, I think they're in sort of like the rock genre. There's two examples that we can give where there's somebody like a Mutt Lang, who's really really involved in, <laughs> in the song in the arrangement of the songs and yes. recordings, yeah, and and the writing to a and, very anal uh, degree. <laughs> absolutely, and. Uh, you know, it'd be hard to argue with his results either. But no, then again, true. not everybody uses that as their template. And you could have somebody like Rick Rubin, for example, who's by all accounts shows up and go, oh, yeah, this is a cool vibe. You should be focusing on that vibe. Uh, do more of this. See you in two weeks type of thing. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> which, yeah. And again, it's like it's if that's the way you like to work, awesome. Because again, it'd be hard to argue with his results, right? Yes. Um, but that's that's generally the role of a producer. Make sure that sort of like 
like you said, what did you say? The omnipotent being on top of everything there that's kind of like, okay, well, this is the vision that we're going to do, and this is how we're going to achieve it. Sure. Um, and then, and, of as course, opposed, the band yeah, has to trust that the producer is going to keep that vision in focus. And if they stray from that focus, they should hopefully have enough trust that if the producer comes back and goes, you're losing focus, we need to bring it back in. You need to do this. You need to do that. That they'll take him at his word or her, him or her, depending yeah. on the producer and take that feedback and, and get back on track, so to speak. That, yeah. that, that's the, yeah. that's the clear thing here. Now, yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking, if you don't have that. Was John Kalodner, is he a producer as well? Was he a producer or is he just a record I think exec? John, no, I think he was just the A&R guy, but okay. I remember it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I think because a lot of like, times on his credits, his it's credits. like John Kalodner. What did he do? He's John Kalodner. <laughs> yeah, he had his own credit. Like, yeah, this is, this is what I do. I do John Kalodner. That's, that's what right. I do. Um, uh, I, I can't remember if he was a producer or not, but if he was, that's the funniest producer. No, he, I think ever. He, he worked for Geffen as far as I'm concerned for I think a big chunk of his career anyway. Uh -huh. um, and I think he was essentially an A&R, but he was the, the liaison, right? Sure. But, but he was he was like the guy for a while there, right? For a good decade in, in you know, late 80s, early 90s, right? He was, he was yeah, he was involved in a lot of, um, a lot of- A lot of big projects. Records. And then, yeah. yes, when you look at the credits, it's like John Kalodner, colon, John Kalodner. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so sidetrack, that, let's good. get away from that. All right. Yeah, so let's do that's it. I was saying that it's a, it's a little bit like another sidetrack and then we'll steer back on. It's kind of like, you know, a, a seven sharp nine chord. It's known <laughs> as like the Hendrix chord. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're yeah, that, that's when you know you made it. Um, that's right. So, so that, so that kind of gets through the, that, that's the definition of what a classical sense of a producer is. Now, that being said, not all producers would know every aspect to the job, but they would know to hire the right people for the job that would hopefully gel well with the whole situation going on. If they didn't, they'd probably yeah. get on the phone or send an email or a text and say, boom, you're fired, <laughs> and then hire somebody yeah. else that can get the job done. So that's the classical sense of what a producer does. Some still mm -hmm. do this. Yeah. So, but now let's, let's switch gears for a moment and let's talk about the role of the recording or no, actually not the recording engineer. Cause he asked specifically about mixing engineers. So, yeah, but, but I think it's important to, to do, even if we do like a quick a side to this, I, I think it's important to bring up the recording engineer. Okay. Um, and the reason I think that is because if you are the producer and you're, you're being in this sort of create, creative state where you're, you're, you're focused on everything as a whole, you may not want to get into the minutia of thinking about, okay, well, which mics are we going to use when we mic the drum kit? Or are we going to use these pre's? Are we going to do that? Where are we going to do the low cut on? All these sort of like technical um, yeah task that you right. have you don't and want to go is, in and out of those that is that the job of the, the recording, recording engineer. engineer right that is correct right yeah. so so the producer would say hey we want to get this kind of sound <laughs> we want to sound more yellow <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah have you heard that the, the peter mckeon thing or whatever? Sure. yeah um 
but but yeah, so it would be the recording engineer's job to be that gear guy, the problem solver. When something is not working in the studio, you're the one that fixes that during the tracking stage. Correct. That would be the recording engineer. Yes. So I think that's an important distinction. We all know that when we're perhaps working on our own material, that we're trying to be creative, it, to have to go and troubleshoot something is just it can grind that creative flow to do a dead screeching halt right? sure so yeah. that, that's why a lot of times the producer would not do that they would have a recording and you know doing all of that so next yes. up next mixing up engineers. Before, well before we hit the mixing engineer stage let's take a brief pause for our sponsor to say a word or two all right let's get on with the mixing engineer definition how would you define what a mixing engineer does, Chris? Well, that's sort of like the last part of the creative process before mastering, right? So while the producer might have a vision for this is how I want this, this album to sound along with a band, now everything is recorded, everything is tracked, whether this is to tape or this is you know direct to vinyl digital or, yeah <laughs> whatever format it is right it's somebody's task to mix this and not if it's direct to vinyl but yeah i'm sorry not if it's direct to vinyl which i inserted in there well yeah direct to vinyl well yeah that'd that, be that, mixed on that, the way in but yeah yeah how often does that happen anymore? <laughs> <Probably> <laughs> unless your your name is jack white you know um <laughs> But um, to then, you know, mix the album. And again, there, it can be beneficial that if you are, I mean, sometimes the, the, it might be the recording engineer and the producer that, that mix the album together, but it's a good opportunity to give it to another party at this point that has a fresh set of ears and that has had that discussion with the producer generally of, this is the vision for the project. Make it happen. Sure. You know? So th there's somebody else that comes in, and more often than not, I would say at these, this point is specializing in mixing, where I'm thinking of, um, oh, my God. Well, what the heck? Now, now the name is Brain fart? Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, complete brain. <laughs> it, it will, it will, uh, oh, uh, Bob Clearmountain. Yes. Uh, I think was sort of like the first guy that, really specialized in that and he's done production stuff as well but but i think at this point he realizes or says that this is what he's best at and this is what he enjoys doing the most so you have guys like that and then you know chris lord algene and there's a bunch of guys that are at least in my world more known for their mixing sure credits than, than anything else so that's that stage of, of the mixing uh, and as a mixing engineer, where you're kind of, okay, here's your, thanks for recording all those tracks really, really well. Now I'm going to put the polish on this and, and bring it up another couple of levels. That, sure. That's what I'm thinking. Not levels as in <laughs> uh, volume, but <laughs> in, in quality. Sure. So that's what I think of, of the role of the mixing engineer. And I'll take it what, a step anything further. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll take it a little bit further in that the mixing engineer becomes the, the person in front of the mixing board or the DAW control center, whatever it is. They're the ones that are the hands-on, moving the knobs, tweaking the 
the settings, that kind of thing, and making the overall decisions, initial decisions, I should say, of how the mix is going. The producer and or the band would also be present at times. Not all, I mean, sometimes they could be present 100% of times. Sometimes they might just flop, flop it off on somebody else and, and just say, here, deal with it and, and just be happy with whatever the end result is. However, I look at it from the standpoint of that, that mixing engineer is the guy that is turning the knobs, moving the faders, making choices about reverbs and all that kind of stuff. And with the producer being the overseer, they can generally be yay or nay, or let's try this, let's try that kind of thing until they get a happy result. That's where I would see that difference is that the mixing engineer is more like, you know, the guy that is doing the hands-on work of the actual mix. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I didn't explain that very well, but that, yes, right. that, that's obviously. The, I know the you case, were going right? there, but you, I just kind of took it all the way to the end with the yeah. train station. <laughs> no, and, and it's, yeah, but, but it's also something to uh, kind of keep in mind that when we're, you know, we're thinking uh, of being that, that mix engineer, that you no longer, or you're certainly not just pleasing one person. Right. You have sort of like that three-headed monster that you got to, like if, if there's a label involved, they have to be happy. Sure. The producer has to be happy and ideally the artist needs to be happy as well. Right. And they don't always have the same view for what it should sound like. Correct. Right? So then it, it but, um, then but I would also, you, I suppose. you mentioned the label and I will s step in and say that the producer is actually like the liaison between the yeah. mix engineer and the label in that regard. He's the one that is dealing with the communication of like, well, the labels come back saying we need to do this. And then he'll go back to the mix engineer and say, this is what we need to have happen. And then the yeah. mix engineer can come back and say, well, I can't make that happen or lovely. Let's make that happen. And then he'll do it. The producer will then take the new result of what's just been happening based on the feedback and go back to the label. So the producer is essentially like that guy that not only the, the overseer, but the communications director between all the different parties is essentially what that yeah. producer role is. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. is the very big difference between the classical sense of what a, the role of a producer and the role of the mix engineer in the process of recording, whether it's a single or an album, what have you, that kind of thing. So now with the modern sense of these things, those lines are getting yeah. blurred pretty heavily. And you get yeah. guys running around saying, I'm a producer. And what do they do? They're making beats. Well, yeah, you're a beat producer, but you're not necessarily a record producer in that sense. That's what I would end up saying in that. And I'm sure that's going to piss some people off, but unfortunately that's reality. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, th there is probably, uh, I mean, I've known people that, that have said that in the same thing. And I, you know, I tend to be, uh, this is going to be a shock to you, Jody, but I tend no. to be pretty anal with my <laughs> definitions. <laughs> um, you don't say. Because I, yeah, because I'm old and I'm stubborn. Um, but, but people say, yeah, I produce. Um, well, I think the definition comes from, from their point of view, is that I'm creating something. Right. Okay, but, but that's not necessarily what a producer is in my eyes. You might be all of those things, right? And I think some of that probably comes from, because it tends to be more in, 
in the rap or the hip hop world when you hear these kind of definitions. Yes. And it's not that it's wrong, it just has originally a different connotation. Uh, meaning. Yeah. Right. So, but when you see guys who, you know, let's say going back to guys like Dr. Dre and stuff that, that arguably made that explode, right? Sure. So, um, I think that's where it comes from. But, but, if you're not overseeing the whole thing, you're technically not a producer, right? right. In my world, anyway. Uh, that's probably a contentious issue, but there, I said it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and, and I can, I, I will jump on on your bandwagon, so to speak, to agree with that statement. So, can there be more than one producer on a project? Sure. Is it yeah. advantageous? Maybe, depending on the size of the artist. Uh, and well, the that, scope the skill of what's going set of on. what they do. Yes. Right? Yeah. So there are finer definitions if we want to take a moment and step into that. So let's say we take an artist like Rihanna, who's sure. globally well known. She has probably a an executive producer who is the point of the whole situation, the top of the food chain, so to speak. And then beyond that, there'll be a vocal producer a track producer, you know, and, and various other things. And the reason why I say that is, is because there are people who are specializing in getting a very good vocal take out of an artist. And right. their whole gig is I produce the vocals, meaning they're the ones making the choice on what, what way the artist sang or said something in a take as the choice of like, that's going to go in this particular comp kind of thing, or this is the take that we're going to use kind of thing. That would be the role of a vocal producer if the executive producer is not there doing that. So there are yeah. other producer type roles and there are hierarchies to how that would work. But for most artists who are especially not at the level of say a Taylor Swift or a Rihanna or, um, Beyonce, Beyonce, or or, or uh, Jay Z, or or some other huge male artist like Ed Sheeran or something. They're they're you're probably not working with multiple producers in that sense. Now, in each of those artists, a vast majority of the time, they have ten different mixing engineers because everybody's mixing one or two tracks on the entire album that's going to be coming out and they're trying to get everything done in a timely fashion. So they're going to have multiple mix engineers. They're going to have multiple producers working on everything around this artist. So that's a whole different ball game in, in the grand scheme of how most artists are going to work. Would yeah. you agree with that? It, it, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's, it's sort of funny. I just thought of this right now while we have this sort of proliferation of like mantling more roles than having, you know, the, the on the top level, it would be the producer and then uh -huh. the engineers and so forth and, and throw in songwriters there somewhere. Sure. And artists and stuff. It seems like we're in a point where there's even more and more specialization as well. Like you mentioned. There can like, be, I'm, yes. I'm just... Yeah, I'm I'm the vocal producer, or I'm. Let's bring in a guy who does amazing work with the editing for whatever part, right? So, so you have all of these specialized roles, um, and it's kind of interesting as opposed to just a main guy now. But right. at the same time, all these lines are blurred as well. So maybe that's all part of the 
the whole soup of the <laughs> music <laughs> well, industry at this point. Well, but yeah. there's always been specialized roles and there's also been like assistants to engineers and then they have like first engineer, second engineer, assistant sure. to the second yeah, engineer, yeah, yeah. assistant to the first engineer. So yeah. those, those kind of things happen. And it's the same kind of thing that can happen also with producers, which is why I went to, to go and mention that you might have an executive producer on a, a very big artist and then you have various other producers underneath doing certain roles of producing per song or per album kind of thing where you have a vocal producer, yeah. you have a music track producer kind of thing who are overseeing the different elements of something that's very grand in scale, very big for the big artists. But for, for those of you who are working out of your house and you're trying to get your feet wet and get everything going, you might be wearing all those hats and yeah. it, it's possible to do it. But for most people, it's a very difficult task to take on to understand the differences between the roles and to do each one of them effectively, I think. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Because it, it is, you have to go through all of those during the process there. So let's say that you're, you're now attempting to be three things. You might be the recording engineer, you're, you're the artist, and you're the producer as well. So trying to keep that objectivity can be very difficult. Yes. And um, I think one reason both you and I, at least for me, I started using mixed templates and very much separating that aspect of it. Here's the creation part. And then later on going into th this is now, now I'm a mixing engineer. Now I'm doing this. Yes. I'm not making creative decisions in the structure of the song or anything like that. That's already done. Mm -hmm. Now, now I'm, I'm mixing. So for me, that helps me sort of like clear those roles for myself when, when I'm doing that and I can be in a certain mindset. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, that's, Certain that's that's definitely a good way to look at it if you are the one man band, so to speak, and you are working yeah. on all aspects of things of, of going from a tracking template to a mixing template to a mastering template if you're going to take on the role of mastering your own stuff. So uh, and then again, it's it's the same sort of thing. If you go and put on your creativity hat and say, where am I going with all of this music or this song that I wish to create? You know, if you're trying to keep a track on your own artistic vision, then in a sense, you're kind of being your own producer. If you're yeah. keeping yourself on that track, if you're constantly shifting and shifting and shuffling and, and second guessing and going, oh, is this better? Is this not better? Or should I do this? And then I go off in this direction and I keep going there and I get lost from this vision that's over here. Yeah, it, it becomes a problem because you never get anything done for one. And two, it might become an absolute mess in the end. Yeah. Yeah, so. and I think uh, one thing that can help with that, if we are in that situation, uh, it can be very helpful to have working relationships with people that you trust. Yeah, you trust well, you have to trust the people you you're working with. If you don't, you're, it's never right. going to be a fun But when ending. you can, yeah, and when you can go, hey, um, take a listen to this song I wrote. It's just a demo. What, what do you think? Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, that sounds great. Or yeah, you know what? That's really cool. But the second verse is way too long. You need to shorten that out. Maybe double the chorus a second time or the hook or whatever it happens to be. So um, there are, you know, way, ways of going about it. But, but the hardest part, I think, is is the loss of objectivity when during the creative part when we're doing all of this stuff ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it, it helps to balance things off of people. And then if you have the benefit of doing it like somebody 
and Mutt Lang, where <laughs> he's got, I, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of albums he, he has his name on, but um, in the sales column, that is. But but that's somebody you would trust, right? So sure. Um, most of us don't have the benefit of doing that. Now, one thing I, I want to say, though, before we go on and, and probably start putting like a bow on this is when, when we both mentioned there that somebody who is, in our views, a beat maker yes. rather than technically a producer. From a classical doesn't sense. Mean, from a classical sense. And this is important. Mm -hmm. It does not mean, at least to me, and I'm, I can speak for you here as well, it doesn't mean that that is a lesser of a role no, it isn't. That, than the producer. It's not, it's just a definition, right? So what this person is doing, it doesn't mean, it. it's not like a demeaning thing. Oh, are you just a beat maker? No, you're a beat maker. Be that proud. You know, yes. we're just talking about definitions here. So right. I just wanted to get that out of the way that it's not like, oh, you fucking yeah, old I, rock my, guys who's looking down at it. Not, that's not <laughs> I, it at all. Yeah, I wasn't attempting to like belittle somebody who calls himself a producer who's really only making beats. It's just a matter of, your definition's a little bit skewed in my opinion. Right. So, and right. my opinion does not make fact, but it does fall in line with what has generally been the opinion and how things have worked in a long-standing sense. Right. In in the industry, so to speak. Know, yeah. And that that's just, you know, the benefit of having all these gray hairs in my beard that <laughs> been around minute, so what you're right? saying so, is is you don't use just for men <laughs> no no I, I, I don't no uh, not yet G give me a couple of years um, so there so there, there yeah, that, anything that else hopefully that, that wraps to? it up for you Fabio uh, that we have hopefully unblurred those lines and helped you get that definition. And for everybody else that's listening to, to the episode that we're dedicating to Fabio, thank you for listening because <laughs> we appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you, Fabio. And thank you for writing in. That, that was actually a really good question. It was, it was like a fantastic that. question. So uh, that being said, while we, well, uh, not so much that, what, let's get on with our Friday finds. What have you found this week, Chris? Well, I was thinking about this, uh, as I tend to do. Uh -oh. um, we just came into the new year. Yes. And time for most people do a lot of resolutions and think, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start working out and I'm going to start being more productive in the studio and I'm going to learn how to wrap my cables properly or whatever happens to be. Right? <laughs> I'd love to um, wrap my cables properly, damn it. Yeah. Um, where we essentially set ourselves up to fail with a lot of these because we take on too much and we're really gung-ho and we burn ourselves out. Yep. So um, I'm at the moment, I'm pretty big on trying to be better with my mental health and that kind of thing. Um, Good on you. And yeah, I'm trying. Um, and there is a book I am about to wrap up and it's called Atomic Habits. Ooh, sounds very and futuristic. It does, right? But it, it's essentially about how to set manageable goals mm. and to, to be able to reach them instead of overreaching. And it's all about uh, taking small steps that in the long run make a huge impact in your life. Um, 
so not to waffle on about it too much, but but it's it's a good read and it's a you know certainly food for thought. So if you are one of those people that I think most of us are, if we're honest, um, we we might need a little help on certain issues to be more creative or be more organized or um, all of that. Um, Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. And who's the author of that? Yep. Do you know? Uh, I do know, but I'd have to go and get my book, and I'm not going to do that. Because uh, <laughs> uh, no, sorry, I, I, author. I actually, you know, <laughs> well, actually, you know, no, what we'll here do. we go. Okay. No, I'll, I'll just no. Actually, you know what? Let me. Re- but before, while I look up the author, mm. you tell us your Friday find. Okay, my Friday find is coming from the land of analog, the analog world, so to speak. For the vast majority of this, this I am going to be talking about the SSL's newest mixing board and it is called the duality fusion and they're already making them there are people that are already buying them uh even though i have since said in the past i don't do that analog shit anymore <laughs> that is and it's not like that quote was taken out of context it's not like that was Almost taken out on of context. purpose exactly um <laughs> The reality is, is that there are certain times when you would rather work on a board than when you would rather work on a DAW. And one of those times Mm -hmm. is like when you're tracking big things and you want to have a specific sound dedicated, which is why you'd build a studio around a mixing board, or in this case, the SSL Duality Fusion. And what makes the SSL Duality Fusion really, really cool is that it is based off of the SSL 9000J. But it is modernized in that it sounds even better and can open up even wider, so to speak, on the top end, which is why we know that you bought that plug-in, was it a week ago or so? Uh, (laughs) I did, yes. And really like saying its praises like, and the uh, what makes the Fusion stand out even from past SSL boards and even the J9000 or the 9000J, I'm not sure which way that's actually said, um, is the Fusion panel strip, which is in the center of the console. And what the Fusion panel strip has is four sections to it. And those sections include a vintage drive, which is kind of like a way to get additional oomph into your mix on the overall thing. It also has Mm -hmm. a separate EQ section that can... Ah, what's the best way of saying it? It it gives the EQ section different, uh, I believe, different variants to the drive of how the EQ works when you're actually working with the rest of the board. And then it has a special compression section as well. And in addition to that, it has the ability to deal with the stereo image control and how wide you want to get it. Oh, and I'm forgetting the fact that part of the, yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool and you can set it and then it kind of just relates to the overall mix, I believe. And one thing I forgot about the vintage drive, it's actually based upon, and I know this is probably not the best way to say this, but it is based upon emulating transformers. Okay. Which SSL is not known for. Because people like instantly assume, oh, it's super clean, it's this, it's that. And they've never actually technically used transformers within their gear as far as, was that how it was explained to me? Um, I'm, I'm trying to go a little bit by memory because I didn't take all the notes. And essentially you can choose a couple of different transformers to, to color the sound, so to speak. 
So you can get yeah, different colors. Yeah, you can, get, you yeah, can add different no. colors on the vintage drive. The vintage drive thing is is emulating various transformers. Right. That sounds really, really cool. So different colors and stuff. Yeah, to, so you can add, add different colors there, yeah. via like this transformer thing. And then you can uh, essentially set some user type presets to save for that kind of thing. Oh. Very cool. And to be on the completely outside <laughs> of reality kind of mark, uh, if you remember the game Simon, do you remember that electronic you, game? It was like a little circular you, thing with, with the four, colors, with the four different oh, things of color. And then, yeah, thing. yeah, and then you were supposed to play back the the same thing that okay. it would do. Right. The fusion panel will play a game if you want to do that of Simon. <laughs> For whatever That's the reason, most expensive game, <laughs> the most of expensive Simon game ever. you can ever buy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so, it sounds like an impressive console. There. Yes, yeah. it does. And the, yeah. my reality is, is that should I go back to building another studio, this is the top choice on my console list right now. Yeah, yeah, that I would cool. go for. Um, so, yeah. So, my apologies to Mr. Clear. James Clear is the author of Atomic Habits. James Fantastic Clear. Book. All right, cool. Go Atomic Habits. Out. Go check that out. So there you go. That is this week's Friday Finds. It is the Atomic Habits by James Clear, and it is the Fusion Duality or the Duality Fusion by SSL, the big 48 channel. I think it comes in 24 and 48, but uh, the 48. Why go 24 when you can go 48? <laughs> there you go. So it's twice well, as many. Yeah, exactly. It? It's twice as much. So while we still have your attention, we would like to invite you to go to our website and leave us a review at inside the recording studio.com forward slash review. Because that does help us and it does help the podcast. And we certainly appreciate it if you do that kind of thing. Plus, if you do it, please let us know and maybe we'll send you a thank you or something more. <laughs> And on top of that, just go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll get weekly reminders about our tips, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes. In addition to that, if you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for the email list, you'll get some presets for some Slate plugins and from Universal Audio plugins from Chris and I, because we're just those kind of guys. We'll give you something for being a part of our list. In addition to that, if you send us an email to goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word producer, you might just get something fun back in your email. Plus, if you have a topic suggestion that you would love for Chris and I to pontificate upon in a future episode... Contact us via our contact form on our website at insidetherecordingstudio.com. God, how many times can I say that in one ending? <laughs> I feel like I've said <laughs> it like a hundred times already. Uh, and you will uh, be able to send us that message and say, hey, would you guys please talk about this? Just like today's episode for Fabio Zorzi. So thank you very much. I'm going to say sayonara until Tuesday for the Tuesday tip and sayonara until Friday for next Friday's episode. So, Chris, have a good day. Have a good one, Jody. And Talk to you later. Yep. And everybody out there, you guys have a fantastic day. Thanks for listening.